I give it a few minutes. Oh, did you get the questions on Facebook as well? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did indeed. Nice. Some good questions there. Indeed. Well, I think give it like a minute or two, I reckon. Everyone, how was did anyone who was on the work just now? Emma Baines was Emily, you were yeah. Maria, were you in the good? <laughs> nah, no chance, mate. <laughs> uh, I'll catch up tomorrow. I was uh I've been doing a lot of training this weekend, so I'll catch up tomorrow. Yeah, fair play, fair play. Don't push too much. Jen, Francesca, well season you then. Okay, let's have a look at the names. Cool. David. Yep. What would you buy? I'm on my learning. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn. <laughs> so Perfect. Yeah. Let me get this set up. Slide there and now to share the screen. That's okay. Now is everyone sees presentation view? Perfect. So, yeah, so we got some questions this week, but uh, again, I'll just start off first few minutes going over kind of some background of the exercise science behind what we're doing to hopefully help you understand strength gain. So this week's topic I want to get into is, um, let's see, how do we get stronger? Actually, and this answers your question that we we're talking about, Scott, there in terms of if should people be getting stronger in the first week or what actually happens that, that makes us stronger? So obviously we, we talked last week about some of the principles of, of training and progressive overload was the main one we talked about. We're going to talk about this again a bit this week, but we talked about Milo and how, you know, the bull, as it got bigger, he still kept carrying it. So the stress has to increase over time. But when we place those stresses on the body, what actually happens? How do we get stronger week to week? Um, so essentially it comes down to, two things so we're training the brain and our nervous system and we're training the actual muscle itself so they're the two main areas that we actually improve that gets it stronger so you'll notice that but compared to last week you're already stronger but you mightn't have gained any muscle and you won't have gained any muscle in a week so essentially what we see is when we start training our brain is the first thing that helps us get stronger because our brain has to send the signals to the muscles to contract. So the better it can get a coordinating that signal, well, then the better the muscles can contract. And when they contract better together and work together better, they're able to express their strength better. And then over time, gains in strength then come down to increase in muscle size because a bigger muscle has more capacity for strength. So that's essentially what's happening over time. So on the muscle side of stuff, we're making the muscle bigger. And then without getting into the muscle physiology, the fibers that make up the muscle start to change and adapt to be kind of strong fiber. So you might hear that we've type one and type two fibers, slow and fast twitch. The fast twitch muscles are your strength muscles and power muscles, basically. So as you train strength, they get more of those fibers start to appear and those fibers get better at um, lifting weights, essentially producing force. Then on the other side of the equation, with your brain and your spine and your nervous system, you've increased neural drive. So that just means your brain gets better at sending the signals and sending more signals to the muscle. And then you get more coordinated because obviously when you start off, say squatting or whatever it is for the first time, you're probably a bit shaky and a bit all over the place, but it's a skill. As you get better at the movement, you become more coordinated and more efficient 
And this leads to you being able to lift heavier weights and be stronger, essentially. So we talked about progressive overload and that we must continually um, push the stress. And as you get stronger, we keep loading you up. So that's what I want to talk about now in terms of what we manipulate in the program. And if you were designing your own program, what that would look like. So there's three primary variables that we're going to change in your program. So intensity is one. So that is how hard you're working relative to your max. So as you get stronger, you're going to lift heavier. So say last week for someone that was lifting three kilos, this week for the same intensity or same relative intensity, they could be lifting five kilos. So they've got stronger. So that's one variable will change is how much weight you're actually lifting. Volume is the other one. And volume, we can calculate a few different ways, but main way we do it is your sets by your reps by the load that you're using or the intensity. And that's just volume is just a word for the amount of work, the amount of stress we're putting on the body. And then frequency is how often you train. So when we begin strength training, we train each muscle group kind of about once a week. But as you progress and get better, you might then start to train muscle groups twice a week. Um, kind of, you wouldn't really need to go much more than that. But when you're starting off, once a week is probably ideal. So with this progressive overload and volume, why we're doing this so this graph looks complicated but essentially med here all that means is minimal effective dose so when i said we want to balance the stress we place enough stress on you that you adapt and if we don't place enough stress you don't progress and if we place too much stress you get injured so at the start of a program we want to work at about minimal effective dose so what amount of exercise does it take just for you to start at adapting and over the courses of a block or weeks, we want to build up to this idea of maximal recoverable volume. So what's the most amount of exercise or stress you could place on the muscle before it's too much for your kind of overtraining? And we kind of build up towards that. Now, we don't have to go all the way there. We have this kind of maximal adaptive volume in the middle, and that's where we're kind of maxing out our adaptations. So you will still make plenty of progress, even if you don't push on and build up to this MRV, this maximal recoverable volume. But if we get you there, well, then you've built up a lot of fatigue. We then what we do, we go into an easy week or a deload week. And then we just start that cycle all over again, basically. So if we look at the spreadsheet, so I just filled it out for split squat, how you, we, you see this calculated in your spreadsheet. So say for week one, if you did, you were using five kilos and you did eight reps for two sets, well, then you multiply those all together and the volume comes up to 80. Week two, you keep the weight the same, but you're doing an extra set and an extra two reps. Now the volume is 150. And then the next week, we keep the reps and sets the same, but we increase the weight. The week after that, we increase the weight and the reps. And then the week after that, week five, we might keep the weight and reps the same, but we do an extra set. And what that builds up then, when you graph it, you see week on week, we're building up the volume to get to this kind of progressive overload. So that's how we ensure there's progressive overload week to week in your program by pushing one of those variables week on week. So that kind of progressive stepwise increase in the volume will lead to you getting stronger and growing muscle. So the question that people would ask, well, why don't we just go straight to week five then? Why do we hold ourselves back in week one and two? And why don't we just go to that if we get maximal adaptation from week five why don't we just jump straight there and i don't know if anyone in the group invests or invests money but with long-term investments the kind of what would you say 
the rationale behind doing it is compound interest. You, you know, when you've put money in, you gain interest, but then the interest gains interest. And over years, you have this compound interest effect. Well, the exact same concept can be applied to your training in terms of the amount of fatigue you build up in your system. Week one will kind of match the, um, the amount of stress you put on it. But as you recover into week two, you still have a little bit of residual fatigue from the week one, but now you're adding week two on top of it. And then in week three, you're even adding more and you have this kind of compounding or cumulative fatigue is what we call it, built up after the few weeks. So in week four and five, that's when you start to feel a bit sore, a bit tired, more tired even when you're not training and stiff, say. And people forget that it's not just our muscles that we're training, that we have ligaments and tendons and they tend to be what need the week off more so than the muscles. Our muscles are quite resilient, but tendons and ligaments, they don't have the same blood supply as our muscles. So they don't heal as, as, as easy or as quick. So that's why if you kind of, anyone that's exercised too much for too long, it's usually not a muscle that's the big issue. It's your elbows get sore, your knees get sore. It's usually ligaments or tendons end up being the issue when we push too hard for too long. So that's why we need that week off. If we try to do that week five volume week after week, we wouldn't last very long. We just end up with tennis elbow, tendinitis, tendinosis, whatever it may be. And we won't be able to exercise because we're just in pain. Where if we build up gradually to it, push it up, and that week off gives the ligaments and tendons a chance to heal up. And because then they're healed up, we can push on hard for another few weeks. So that's the idea. We kind of take one step back to allow us to take two steps forward with our rest and recovery. And that's exactly what I talk about here. We build up to a point where we've pushed really hard for a few weeks and then we ease off. So that's kind of just, I wanted to cover that and what's going on in your bodies during these few weeks. And that's how you're actually getting stronger. And that's how we ensure that you're all getting stronger, that we have progressive overload built into the program. And people's programs that don't lead to increases in strength or muscle mass tend to be because they don't follow those principles and they don't progressively over overload in a clever and systematic way. So some of the questions I got in guys, um, I just covered here. Uh, so the first one was quite a good question. And this was, do we need to do some sort of cardio exercise along with our strength training to keep our heart healthy or is step count enough? Um, and this person said they want to be able to run for the bus or go up a flight of stairs without feeling out of breath. So does additional cardio or cardi cardio workouts help cardiovascular health or will strength training help with that? And you might remember last week in the slides I covered kind of when we looked at the guidelines, people who only do aerobic exercise and hit their guidelines, so 150 minutes a week, they have a 16% reduction in, in, in all-cause mortality or just a risk of dying, essentially. But people who do the strength training have a bigger reduction. And those who do both, obviously, have the largest. So for me, it's not a either-or question. You should do both. You should have a good cardiovascular system and you should have a good strength system or good muscular system. Because the same as with muscle mass and strength, cardiorespiratory fitness, so how well your heart and lungs and muscles work is associated with mortality risk people who have the highest level of fitness tend to have the lowest risk of of death but with that said is step counter just being physically active during the day enough to get most of the benefits of regular cardiovascular exercise and the question the answer is 
pretty much yes in terms of we see a, a relationship between the amount of steps you do every day and your risk of cardiovascular disease and all-cause mortality. So if anyone ever wondered kind of where this 10,000 steps per day target came from, it's kind of based on these research papers where the actual 10,000, believe it or not, came from a, a, a pedometer company that was just simple marketing because um, it's a nice round number to aim for. It's not a case of if you do 9,000, there's no benefit. And if you do 10, it's all, all suddenly magical. Once you start doing any steps at all, we see risk coming down. But the more steps you do, the better the benefit. But it starts to kind of level off at around 10,000. You've got most of the benefits there. So if you're hitting that step count every day, you're really reducing your risk of cardiovascular disease. And we see that, again, in all-cause mortality, so risk of just dying from cancer or any, any disease whatsoever. But if we look at cardiovascular health, so your heart particularly, same relationship. So step counts associated with your risk of, of heart attack. Now, resistance training, though, is also strongly, strongly related in terms of it does an awful lot. Um, stuff that we mightn't associate weight training with. For example, weight training improves blood pressure. It improves your lipid profile. So your LDL, your cholesterol, improves blood glucose and several different things. So again, this, this research when we look at, and this is from that paper, AET is aerobic exercise training or ET is resistance exercise training. And you can see a lot of what happens here. But the big things I want to point out is a lot of time, the aerobic exercise that we're told to do is to reduce your blood pressure. We know blood pressure and LDL are two of the major risk factors for heart disease, that if you have chronic high blood pressure and chronic high cholesterol, or particularly LDL, they're the biggest risk factors for heart disease. But we know that resistance training reduces LDL, it reduces cholesterol, it reduces blood pressure and increases your VO2 max, along with a, a plethora of other things. So a lot, most of the benefits you will get from aerobic exercise, you get from resistance training as well but the added benefit of you improve muscle function and muscle strength. Now, that being said, I don't think that you should aim just to do strength training. That's the reason we put in the HIIT session, reason we put in the yoga. It's to incorporate these other modalities of training and fitness, which are important too. So when we talk about cardio exercise, we can talk about different intensity. So this is just a percentage of your heart rate max. So obviously if you're working at as hard as you possibly can. Your heart rate is very, very high. You feel the heart beating. Whereas if you're out for a walk, you're probably at 55% of your max heart rate or maybe 65. You're doing light exercise. Or if you're walking at a, a faster pace, you might be in this kind of moderate exercise um, zone. What I should say is most of us probably, if we get most of our um, aerobic exercise in this kind of light to moderate um, true step count, true just walking and being physically active during the day, that covers our basis for most um, of the benefits of aerobic exercise. But as with everything, it's probably a good idea to do at least once a week or once every two weeks, something that tips you into the vigorous, the very vigorous then as well. So it's probably a good idea that your heart rate just for general health. And as someone said, if you want okay, when I run for a bus or go upstairs and I'm not out of breath, getting, getting, doing exercise that kind of gets you really out of breath once or twice a week 
is is um, something I'd recommend as well. Now that doesn't have to be prolonged exercise. That can be five, 10 minutes exercise that's vigorous, gets the heart up and just kind of keeps that ticking that box. Because when we train, it's good to have a balanced approach to our training, just like our nutrition, where we do a little bit of everything. But if our main focus is strength, that the predominant amount of exercise is done in strength. And again, this comes back to our, our identical twins from last week. You know, the adaptations we get from exercise is very specific. The guy on the left is a marathon runner. The identical twin on the right was a bodybuilder. And the body's adapted very specifically to what, what training they did. Uh, so, yeah, so that's what I'd say. If our goal is strength, well, then the majority of our exercise should be done in strength training if that's what our goals. And same thing, if our goals are kind of aesthetic from a body composition perspective, strength training and building muscle is probably more favorable than high amounts of cardio. But we still want a bit of cardio there um, peppered in just to keep the, the heart ticking over. But as I said, the majority of the benefits you will get from that will be got from resistance training as well, once you're keeping your physical activity and step count high enough during the day as well. So hopefully that answers the first question. The second question I got was then, how does the timing of your workouts affect results? If we have too many days between or um, not enough rest, will that diminish results? So again, it's a very good question. I wouldn't worry too much about it in terms of, I, I don't want people to major in the minors with this kind of stuff in terms of it's a good question, but again, it's probably something you don't want to worry about too much. So we talked last week that all we're ever doing is putting a stress on the body that we place a training stimulus, our body breaks down a little bit, gets tired, and then we recover and hopefully get better. But as this person pointed out, if we leave too many days, we can start to detrain because this is what we want over time is when we're hitting that kind of peak, of recovery that we train again and we get this um, nice linear kind of stepwise climb in our progress over time. So again, this looks a bit complicated, but this is a detraining graph. So how long it takes you to get worse if you stop training. So what you'll see in the blue line is that's your strength, your maximal strength. And you can see it probably doesn't start to take a big dip until maybe four weeks of detraining is enough to before strength really takes a big hit, but it starts going downhill after about two weeks. So what I would take from that is strength is quite a resilient characteristic. Once you build up strength, your muscles are quite good at retaining it. So if you, for whatever reason, need to take a week off or, you know, some life gets in the way and you miss, pardon me, you miss a week of training, it's no reason to freak out is you're not going to lose all your gains in a week. It's not the end of the world. Just get back into training and you will keep maintain that strength. Now that's not the same as, Oh, I'll take a week off. I'll train for a week and then I'll take another week off and I'll do that month on month, year on year. That's not the same, but if you're training regularly and you're forced to take a few days off or a week off, it's not the end of the world. You will not lose all your gains. And in that question around, how long it takes to recover between one session. So that's going to depend on a number of factors, depending on how trained you are and how hard you train that session. Because obviously you'll recover from a light session much quicker than you recover from a hard session. But on average, it takes between 24 and 72 hours to fully recover from a resistance training session for most people. So you'll see that the fast velocity stuff takes a bit longer. So that's your power and your jumping, that kind of stuff. But strength and the muscle 
takes between 24 to 72 hours, depending on how hard you trained. So that's why we do three sessions a week, especially when beginning, that we're getting sufficient that you're mostly recovered, uh, fully recovered or mostly recovered between sessions. Um, interesting, I just thought I'd throw this in here. Psychological stress impairs your muscle recovery. So this has been shown in a few studies now that when we get people and we get them through a psychological evaluation and we determine how much stress is going on in their life, then we put them through an exercise uh, session. People who have high life stress take longer to recover than people who have low life stress. So that's one of the reasons why we encourage kind of the stoicism, the journaling, the yoga. If we can limit and reduce their, our life stresses, um, it actually leads to better adaptations and better results from your exercise then as well. Um, there's a couple of reasons why, why the stress has a, a, an effect, and I can talk about that in a while if people want, but just something to be aware of. If you're highly stressed, you're not going to recover as well from exercise. Um, so that was the question. takes about 24 to 48 hours to recover for most people. So that's generally, if we're doing strength training, we want to be doing a, two to three sessions a minimum per week, I would say, to make good gains. Um, if there's two, three, four days between a session, it's not the end of the world. But I'd say you'd want to be hitting three sessions a week, kind of this two days, 24, 48 hours apart is kind of the sweet spot for most of us, especially when we're starting out. And then the third question I got is working out with DOMS, should you do it or wait till the pain has subsided? So DOMS, first of all, for anyone who doesn't know, it stands for delayed onset muscle soreness. So it's the pain we get after exercise. So the first question I suppose we have to ask is, is what causes DOMS? Because there's two main things that can happen and we shouldn't confuse them. So we have what we call exercise-induced muscle damage. So you'll notice that sometimes in the hour or two after training, we're pretty much sore straight away. And especially if it's your first session you've ever done, you're more likely to be sore straight away compared to sometimes you're more sore the day after or two days after which doesn't really make sense when you try to think about it. And it's because there's two different things going on, essentially. So straight after training, if you're sore, that's because of, we've actually damaged the muscle, as in we've torn the muscle fibers apart. So you can see in this kind of gray picture here, on the right, the control, that's just what muscle normally looks like under a microscope. It's kind of all nice in series. On the left, we can see after exercise and it's damaged. We've torn it apart. So that's what happens straight after exercise. But then while you're more sore the day after or even two days after, you have the delayed onset muscle soreness. And that's caused by an inflammatory response because you can think of if you injure a muscle, you hurt a joint, you hurt um, your elbow or you injure a, mu a muscle, what happens? It becomes inflamed. It gets warm and gets sore and may swell. That's the inflammation response. Well, the same thing happens in our muscles that our body responds like, okay, there's damage happened in the muscle. We need to repair that. So it sends an immune response, an inflammatory response to the muscle and they break down the, the damaged muscle and build new muscle there. So that's what can actually cause the, the pain. It's the body healing itself and adapting to the exercise. So what can you do then to potentially prevent that. And on the left here, you'll see kind of all the common stuff that you can think of. The big pillars that you want to focus on are your nutrition, 
your sleep and your stress. And I think everyone knows that already, that you, if you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, and your life stress is not in order, that will lead to more muscle pain or DOMS. If all those boxes are checked, there are some other stuff that we can potentially do. And that is your contrast therapy. So cold water, warm water can help. Uh, compression can help. Physical activity. Actually, as I said last week, motion is lotion with this kind of stuff. Actually being mobile and moving and stretching out the muscle, even if it's sore at the start, is probably the best thing you can do. And that's why we have these active recovery sessions in the program to help this. Now, all these are options to you, but the reality of the situation is they're all there for pretty much just an analgesic effect in terms of the body just needs to do its thing and heal itself and the pain will subside in time. Um, the nice thing about strength training, the more strength training you do and the more trained you have become, the less muscle damage occurs when because the body gets better at uh, producing the strength it needs without damaging the muscle. So your DOMS will reduce over time as your body adapts to strength training. Um, and after a while, you probably will have little to no DOMS whatsoever after training. What should be kind of noted is interesting. Again, I apologize for anyone that is not into the sciences maybe as much as I am, but I'm a self-professed nerd in this area. Our body produces the inflammation response to heal itself. So if we try to use like cold water immersion, ice baths, say we used um, anti-inflammatory drugs and said something like that, we're fighting the body's natural immune response. So we're kind of dumbing it down. Now, what you find happens then is, yes, the soreness goes away quicker and you're not as sore after training if you're taking, say, diphene or something like that. But we also see a reduction in your adaptation and the amount you gain. That when we did this with athletes, athletes who use an ice bath after every gym session gained less muscle than athletes who didn't use ice baths. Now, yes, they were less sore. So you kind of, there's this trade off. You can, at any one time, you can enhance the recovery, but you're probably blunting adaptation a little bit at the same time. So it's always kind of this trade off that, you know, yes, you're going to be a bit sore, but there's stuff we can do to, to mitigate it. But if we try to fight the body too hard and fool it, it's going to bite back and we're not going to adapt as much as we want. But what I would recommend from a practical perspective, most people find warm water, stretching, foam rolling, and just general light exercise as the best things to, um, to relieve DOMS. The worst thing you can probably do is sit around and not move and just try not move it whatsoever because then the muscle tend just to stiffen up um, anyway. So that's what I'd recommend from that perspective. Uh, and I think, yeah, that is the questions I got. So I will open it to the floor if anyone has any other questions they want to chat about. Who in the chat? Is it who in the chat? I don't know if you've seen them, David. Yeah, I'll have a look. Might be you. So if we want to continue with strength training after the five-week challenge, should we continue to build volume each week through reps weight, but bring the volume down once every four to five weeks? Yeah, that is pretty much exactly what you want to do. You want to pick the exercises in a kind of similar structure to what we have, and then every four to five weeks, do a deload week. And as a general rule of thumb, all we do is 
half the volume, do half the volume of your final week, so 50%. So if you're doing four sets, cut it down to two sets or whatever it may be, and bring the intensity down a little bit, lift a little lighter. So that's exactly how I would structure it. You take the program we gave you, maybe change one or two exercises in each to freshen it up a bit, and then repeat the same process. And it might sound boring, but that consistently done over months and years, that's what leads to um, massive improvements in strength and body composition and, and everything else. Um, question two, eventually, do you just stop having DOMS? Usually stops after two weeks for me, even when I give up the weights. What's flossing? Okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, so to the first part of that question, yeah, you pretty much, will you ever completely eliminate DOMS? No, but the DOMS really significantly reduce in terms of the, the prevalence and the magnitude. Um, I can speak from my own experience and say from a powerlifter, I, I rarely, if ever, have crippling DOMS. At most, I have slight stiffness a day after, but it, it usually alleviates, and that's after some, some heavy, heavy training. So yeah, your body is very good at adapting. Um, in terms of what's flossing, so I'm going to assume that was on the slide and doesn't refer to the dance. Um, so what flossing is, it is where you take, essentially if you can think of the resistance bands, some videos use it. So the long resistance band, you get it and you would wrap it really tightly around the joint. So it's a strong compression um, garment or rubber essentially, and it compresses the joint. And then you would perform some exercise, some movements, um, bringing the joint to its full range of motion while it's under that really compressive um, force. Most of the benefits from flossing seem to be psychological. People do it and they get kind of uh, similar to foam rolling, a short-lived um, analgesic effect. Because a lot of what these do, foam rolling, um, stretching, the effects and increases in, in mobility and flexibility they give us, they're actually short-lived in terms of if you foam roll, yes, it improves flexibility, but it only improves flexibility for about 20 or 30 minutes. And then the, the muscle kind of goes back. But what we find is if you're stiff and sore, well, if you foam roll, all of a sudden you're not as stiff and sore. So you're able to move a bit more. And because you start moving more because of the foam rolling, then that movement tends to lead to more movement and greater um, relie relieving of the tension. So that's how that tends to work. Um, next one might be a stupid question, but is there a reason there is no specific core exercise in the plan, given we need a strong core to help with stability? Now, that is a stupid question. No, not there, no such thing as stupid questions, guys. Um, so the, the core is obviously important, but this idea of specific core exercises, I know about talking about isolating it. But to perform any of these movements, you have to have a strong contraction of the core in terms of if you're doing a squatting variant, it's your core that keeps you upright and prevents you from falling over. So your core is very active through all these movements and should be. Same with the, the push-up variations. It's your core that should keep your back and your torso straight, that it's not um, falling over or flopping. So the core does get um, quite a lot of work. Um, throughout all these strength movements so there's no real need for specific core stability stuff and especially if you're doing the yoga and the other elements of the program you're getting it hit there um so generally when we do strength training 
the core gets enough activation from all these different movements because it has to brace to hold themselves. Now, there are certain situations where if we identified a particular weakness or someone was presenting with, say, low back pain consistently, then we would add in specific core exercise to potentially um, target one of those weaknesses. But again, if the, it's not present and it's not an issue, we won't create a problem where it's not. Um, so I hope that answers the question. Um, next one. If you really struggle with getting your nutrition right, how easy quickly could you end up bulking if unintentionally eating over your calories and doing strength training? Um, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, how easy or how quickly? I suppose easy, yeah, it's, it's, it's potentially quite easy to do if, you, if you're miscalculating and you're not counting your calories right. We've plenty seen plenty of people um, who will think they're eating less than what they are and can't understand why they're gaining weight and will blame it on different things. Um, I'm a, I've never seen the film, but I think, is there a scene in Mean Girls where she thinks she's eating diet bars, uh, but it's for the wrestling coach it's giving them to bulk up so um that actually happens quite a lot in reality um i used to know people well i i used to um have a few people in the gym and used to go into holland and barrett and you could buy flapjacks there um but the flapjack small little flapjack was 500 calories but people thought oh oats and whatever it was crazy what they could load into them and like that it was very very much a mean girls um, situation for those people so yeah look you can is <laughs> butcher a carb um you could end up i would say easily bulking if you didn't if you unintentionally were um eating over i wouldn't say quickly though it's it doesn't happen overnight you're not going to wake up and you've automatically put on five kilos of fat or even muscle. The body's actually quite resistant to putting on weight as well. The body likes to be at a, a, as whatever it's at and likes to maintain itself. So you would have to consistently overeat. And if you're tracking your body weight, you will start to notice these trends and you can kind of adjust. And especially if you're putting your details into the app then as well, the app will notice and adjust based upon that as well. So I'd say, is it easy to overeat by accident? Yes. Will you quickly bulk up by accident? No, I wouldn't say so. Not if you're paying attention. Um, and if there's if there's any issue there with the nutrition, just reach out. We'll be able to have, have a chat about that. Um, I had chronic fatigue syndrome a few years ago, which I generally feel is resolved. But I just wondered, is there anything I should particularly watch out for through the program moving forward? I consider myself to be pretty fit and active now join the program for a bit of a boost well that's good now it's great to hear that you, you've resolved it because chronic fatigue syndrome is it's very multifaceted and i'm not going to talk outside my scope of practice here because obviously that's a discussion for you and your um your, your gp or whoever is helping you in a medical capacity with chronic fatigue syndrome um and there's several different reasons that can contribute to, to that syndrome but in terms of what you should watch out moving through the program? No, I, I don't think so. If you have everything pretty much in um, in, in check, then no. Uh, again, if you have any real um, issues or worries, I would talk to the medical professional. But I am pretty sure that exercise, it sounds counterintuitive, 
but exercise training and resistance training has been shown in the research to reduce symptoms um, of chronic fatigue, which again, sounds a bit counterintuitive. I'm tired, chronically doing more exercise shouldn't help, but it does seem, seem to, to help. So hopefully that answers that. Um, anything else, guys? David, what's a, say for example, someone's training was perfect, yeah, but then they weren't eating enough protein, you know, so like way off, like, or oh, someone's diet was perfect, it's hard pressing, but then their training was mediocre. Like, what can we expect the, the differences to be? Like, for someone now listening who's like, you know what, my training's good, but my protein is like half what it's meant to be. Is there any research on that? It's, it's, it's difficult to to put a, an exact percentage. There is, there is some research. So the first off, you will be, you're diminishing your results compared to um, what you can. It's hard to put a, an exact figure on it because like I, I showed last week, how any individual responds varies greatly between individuals. So you can't say that one person, oh, they responded much better because it's more protein. They might've responded better anyway. But within an individual, just as any one of us, you will be compromising your gains in, in strength and in muscle mass and body composition by not having enough protein. And it's funny, it's it's very like, um, what I relate it to is, is people with hydration is a big thing in terms of people don't, and same with good nutrition and good sleep, we tend to not realize how much of an impact they have until we start doing it right in terms of, if you don't, we can kind of go along this zombie state, not realize how much maybe our cognition and our general mood and health is compromised until you get then consistently a week or two of good sleep and good hydration day after day. And then you realize, oh, I was working at 80%, but I was just used to it. I didn't realize that I was compromised. And it's the same thing with, with your training. You will have people train for even years and don't sort out their nutrition or the protein intake and just kind of don't realize how much of a, a break they're putting on themselves or a hamper, how much they're dampening their own response training. So I can't give an exact figure, but to say I can say is you are definitely compromised if you're not nailing down your nutrition and in particular your protein. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, what you know, protein intake, the ranges have, have slightly changed. Well, from what I've seen, for most people here is like the guidelines now one gram per 1.5 grams per kilo or what was it two grams per kilo i saw a study the other day that showed three yeah. grams per kilo that is yeah that's a lot yeah there, it's and again it's a lot if anyone has been in those um <laughs> studies it's an awful lot so the recommended daily allowance so the rda is 0.8 grams per kg of body weight a day. But the RDA, like anything, was invented during wartime. And if anyone knows the background of the RDA, it's literally um, what is the minimum amount we can give to soldiers that prevents them from getting disease and dying, essentially. It's because they obviously need to produce rations for, for soldiers that um, is, is economical and easily transportable RDAs. So that's the RDA is 0.8, but that's acknowledged as below optimal. 
for health, it's recommended you get a minimum of 1.2 grams per kilogram of your body weight per day. For anyone engaging in regular exercise and in particular strength training, that recommendation goes up to about 1.5, 1.6 grams per kg of body weight a day. Now, if people are looking to make um, big changes in body composition, especially with fat loss, we tend to see a higher protein intake seems to be more beneficial and um, leads to better success in the long term. And especially if we're trying to reduce body fat, we may be in a calorie deficit. We want to preserve as much muscle mass as we can. So we find with most people, about two grams per kg of body weight a day tends to be, that's more than enough, but tends to be kind of the sweet spot in terms of people who are doing um, heavy resistance training. But anywhere from kind of 1.5, 1.6-ish to two grams a day is what I would recommend that most people take in. Um, which is not all that much. Like for most of us, probably our body weight range um, from uh, it's it's large, but maybe from 50 kilos up to 100 kilos, 100 plus, whatever it may be. So you're talking from 100 grams up to 200 grams of um, protein a day, which might sound like a lot, but 100 grams, I, I tend to opt for a lot of obviously egg and dairy base, but Aldi and Lidl have some great like the skier yogurts they talked about last week. You have the small packs of those are like 25 grams in a little pot or even the bigger pots are 40, 50 grams that it's very easy to incorporate these. And if needed, you could use um, whey protein powder or whatever to supplement. So, yeah, that's where the, the protein recommendations are at. Anything above the two grams per day, it's, there are certain cases where the argument could be made for it. And, but their bodybuilders about to get on stage, they potentially need more. But for most of us, 1.5 to 2 is enough. If we take in too much protein, um, unless you have a pre-existing renal issue or kidney issue, our body handles it fine and just um, we it leaves the body in urine, essentially. Um, we get rid of it. So there's no harm in taking in too much protein or excess protein. It doesn't put any strain on our body if unless we have pre-existing um, renal issues. Uh, yeah. Is it true your body can only absorb about 30 grams at a time? No, it's, it's, it's not true. Um, that comes from this idea of, of muscle protein synthesis. And so muscle protein synthesis is, is where our body is making new muscle tissue. It's synthesizing new muscle proteins. Um, so it takes about 30 grams of protein to get that to spike um, to, to its highest Um and that, that's where this idea came that, oh, you can only absorb 30 grams at a time, but it's just not true. Um, and any of the research, even people say you need protein every couple of hours to keep things going. It doesn't seem to be the case. When we look at research of once daily protein is matched, the number of protein hits you get during a day doesn't seem to matter all that much. It's daily protein is the most important thing that you're getting enough day after day. And again, this one I said, don't major in the minors nail down that you're getting enough day after day. That's the first thing. Are you consistently getting enough protein every day? Then if you're doing that for uh, consistently for a while, then maybe say, okay, there might be a potential benefit to splitting it up that I'm getting protein every two or three hours during the day um, and to get maximized amount of MPS hits we get. But again, that's for the, that's the small details. The more important thing is get enough day after day. Um, and no, it, it, so it's a long-winded way of saying, no, your body can absorb more than 30. It's fine. 
Yes. David, how much protein do you have per meal, roughly? Um, you try and aim for 50 or something, 50 grams. Yeah, I generally, yeah, probably 50 grams is what I generally try to aim for. Um, now, I, I'm different to most people on the call in terms of I'm currently walking around at 100 kilo body weight, so I'm at 200 grams a day um, in terms of protein intake um, when as much as I can. But yeah, generally kind of 50 grams per meal is, is, is what I aim for as, as much as I can. Because I, I only tend to eat three, maybe four meals during the day. So it's, it's trying to split it up that way. Yeah. I notice a lot of people tend to overlook just increasing the, the portion size of the protein they eat. They try to always yeah. find more meals as opposed to just going, why don't I just double up on this? And you just, it's yeah. just much easier. But yeah, we will, will it overlook it too much. I mean, so yeah, mm. guys, just go and eat protein now. Scoff your face. <laughs> Uh, there's a question you, uh, David, I think, Amy, Amy Nev, can you see her? Before the 30 gram one. Uh, is there a question in there? Well, um, yeah, so like, kind of like. Really struggling to change my mind. Oh, yeah, sorry, yes, mind frame. As for years, I've always done three sets of eight to 10 reps using the heaviest weight I can to fail at eight to 10 reps. I'm trusting the process still trying to wrap my head around this new way of training. Yeah, so when we compare the, well, first of all, three sets of eight to 10 using the heaviest weight I can. So first of all, you're keeping the reps and sets the same. If you're keeping those same week on week, well, then the only variable you can have to progressively overload is intensity. And you would have to lift. So if that is the case and you are gaining strength week after week doing that, well, then great, you're, you're progressing. Um, but that's only one way you can progress. But because you're going to failure on every set, it's getting harder to um, increase that load because you're building up so much fatigue. So when we look at the research, uh, and there's a lot of research being done on this because this is a big question in terms of if you go to failure, as in you cannot do another rep versus leaving one or two reps in the tank, this one or two RIR, it's the exact same in terms of muscle gain and muscle hypertrophy. You get the same results. Interestingly, you get better results in terms of strength by leaving one or two reps in the tank. And that is because strength is a skill, I suppose. But what are you trying to do? You're trying to train the nervous system to, um, to get stronger. Now, interestingly, our muscles have the capacity as in our muscles are actually inhibited in how strong they are, as in our muscles are strong enough to actually rip themselves off our own bones if, if they were to contract as, as hard as is physiologically possible. It's very like, um, not to be crude, well, it's not crude, but we have the strength in our jaw to bite off our own fingers. We, we have that in terms of you can bite straight through a carrot, no problem. But if you try to put your finger in your mouth now and bite it off, you won't be able to do it because your brain inhibits you doing that because the body wants to survive. So essentially what we're doing with strength training, when I talk about training the brain and training the, the, the neurons and the, the electrical signals that we want to send to the muscle, over time, you're asking the brain to take the brakes a little bit off because what you do, you're lifting a heavier weight and the brain says, okay, for this weight, 
I didn't die. Essentially, it says my muscle was strong enough to deal with that. I didn't die. So the next time you go to do that, the brain lets you go a little bit further. It says, okay, I'll chance it a little bit further with a heavier weight. I'll take the brakes off a little bit. And again, you don't die because you go one to two reps left in the tank. And the brain says, geez, I was able to do that. So the next time I'll let it go. And over years, you get stronger. If you push it to failure every time, you're essentially training the brain to fail in, in a certain way in terms of you're signaling the brain, okay, the muscle is not able to lift this weight. If I let the muscle keep going, there's a high chance it'll tear off the bone or will end up an injured muscle. So that's why the training to failure potentially leads to reduced strength because we're not getting the same training of, of the brain and um, there. So training to failure, it's tougher and you get less return potentially from it. So it can be a bit of a mind change to just leave one or two reps in the tank, but it's what we find works the, the, the best. And even when we studied the best in the world in terms of the weightlifters and powerlifters and um, those who set world records, they rarely, if ever, go to failure in training. Um, they always leave a, a bit in the tank because as you approach failure, you think of it, what, what happens when you are getting towards this end of a set where you can't push anymore? You get shaky, your movement becomes sloppy. So you also have an increase in injury risk the closer you go to failure then as well. So to get stronger and to progress like anything, it's about being consistent over weeks and months and years. If you're getting injured the whole time, you're not going to be consistent with your training. So there are some of the reasons why that mindset and shift is needed that we will um, actually gain more by being a bit more conservative with our training, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, sorry if I missed this in the call, but what if you have maxed out your carbs, but you're yet to meet your protein goals, but it means you go over your calories? My dilemma every day. Cons of being vegan, I suppose. Um, okay. Rain myself in, not to make the obvious vegan jokes that are there. <laughs> um, so th that's a common one. And it, it is tougher with um, a, a vegan diet simply because a lot of your protein sources aren't pure protein sources, as in they're accompanied by carbs. Um, if you're someone that follows an omnivorous or carnivorous kind of approach, like chicken or fish, you can get almost pure protein sources. So what should you do in terms of, again, if you're going to max out your carbs, you're probably better off going with your carb sources that are higher in proteins. So if some of those carbs you're taking in are from say pasta or bread or rice sources, maybe substitute those um, rice or pasta sources with higher protein sources. So you're kind of um, potentially lentils or more pulses and, um, and beans or tofu or something like that. Um, like, Ultimately, with body composition, depends on what your goals are. If you were to overeat on a macronutrient, protein is the best macronutrient to overeat on because the body struggles to convert it to um, either glucose to be stored as carbohydrate or to fat. The body struggles to um, convert protein. So I would say try staying your calorie goals as much as you possibly can. If you do overeat, overeat on protein. Um, but again, just kind of be clever that if your carb source is there, that could be replaced with another carb source that has a higher level of protein that will help you reach your protein demand. 
um, I would go for that. So again, with, with, with vegan approaches, in general, when it comes to protein requirements, it can be done. It's just generally tougher um, and takes a bit more creativity and, and organization to get it done efficiently. Yeah. Also, Tia, what's your fat intake per day? Is that maxed out as well? Or? Um, I don't know. I can't remember. I think sometimes I hit it and sometimes I don't. So it, it's, yeah, it's a tough one. You can try, um, you can, you can slide up carbs and then it'll reduce your fat by a bit if it's easier. So you might okay. look, have a look at the food you're eating and see if they're higher in like look at the substitute to see what the biggest drop is because if you can mm -hmm. give yourself more carb maybe 20 grams more it'll automatically mm -hmm. come off your fat if you okay. use the macro preferences slider if you've got a more macro preferences you can actually change it um but yeah i think you'd be right though you'll go what's your goal by the way so for context for people i think it's, it's yeah i think it's like 1350 calories a day that's quite um yeah and my yeah and my goal is just like to gain the strength because i'm so weak <laughs> oh yeah the goal um, is to gain strength it's, i don't think you should worry about going over slightly too no don't go over on okay. that's fine and okay. in terms of your your protein um sources there are some good pro vegan protein powders i'm sure you're you're probably aware of them but there are some, mm. some good ones out there then as well the I don't, like the, <laughs> I don't like the taste of protein powder. I hate it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, just yeah, the sweetness of it is just not. I, I don't know if anybody else has the same opinion, but, but the protein powders are hard to do. Yeah, some of the the vegan ones I've seen the brands I've come across in the past. Um, Sun Warrior have some good good ones in terms of not okay. too sweet, but you also could go with a, a hemp or a pea-based protein something like that that can be mm -hmm. mixed into soups and mixed into your food essentially fortify your foods that way it could be and um, the pea protein is actually quite nice mixed into soup um, and it's obviously not sweet whatsoever so something like that could be beneficial okay. or um rice protein is, is not a bad one rice protein powder it's it's somewhat sweet but it's pretty tasteless and flavorless as well so it's it's quite tolerable Nice, yeah. thank you. There should be clear way vegan by now as well, surely. Clear way taste. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That clear way came out in like 2019, I think, like a new innovation of, I think it was 2019 they first came out with it. Uh, it's fucking amazing. David, you have clear way. Tell me you have clear I have. Way. I, I still don't trust it. <laughs> in what terms do you mean? Of, as in, it's too good to be true. It's one of those things, it's too good to be true, isn't it? Where I'm, I'm drinking it, I'm like, I don't know. It's when you're used to years of just dairy based or that kind of thick yeah. dairy based protein. Um, but yeah, Clearway is a, a great, great alternative. It's brilliant. Clearway, yeah. So like um I know like I know we go over in the UK, but I know my, my protein will have it over in the US. Um, they got loads of flavors. Yeah, but David, I read as well. So our Clearway, like I looked into it, yes, Clearway hydrolate hydro. Mm. And uh, I read a study on hydro being better than isolating, regaining power after workouts. Have you seen that study? I haven't seen that one, but I, I'd understand the premise because the, the hydrolate hydrolysis, so it's essentially you're pre-digesting the protein a little bit. So it yeah. leads to um, the, the protein chains are already broken down a bit. So it leads to kind of faster absorption and higher rate of absorption. So there's potential there for um, quicker recovery time. Yeah, nice. 
Yeah, so guys, if you can have a look into Clearway, I'm not saying you have to care and there is other brands out there, but try it out. It's amazing. Double scoop it, 40 grams of protein. It tastes like squash. Yeah. <laughs> it can't get easier. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, Tia, let me know if I'm in the US and then we can post. I'll post it in the group maybe to get some US-based recommendations Okay, because uh, we all UK, it'll be all UK-based over here. Yeah, okay, um, thanks. But yeah, nice. Guys, any other questions for... Else, guys? Big powerlifter, David. <laughs> so you squat the other day, David. Smooth, thing. Which one was that now? I don't know. You're doing a lot of weight, though. It was a smooth squat. I liked it. Ah, oh, good, good. Uh, was, um, did you have any, any, like, mechanical issues ever? Have you just been able to go into these lifts? No, I'm I'm quite lucky in terms of. I, I know I look very tall on this on this camera, but if you see me in reality, I am built to squat in terms of um, <laughs> very very short legs, long torso in comparison <laughs> to my legs, so I fold very easy. Um, yeah, no, mechanically I'm fine. Little hip flexor issues now and again, but overall I've always been able to squat squat quite well, thankfully. Nice, nice, nice. No, it's, uh, it's been an awesome session again, David. I like the. I've had some people posting the group their volume as well. If you want to take a look, just like last week's volume versus this week on uh, the push, some people have doubled volume, some people have brilliant the third. Yeah, so yeah, have a look at that, but guys. Thank you for turning up again to learn as we are on Monday. Um, any other questions, David? Do you want to share your email? Maybe if someone wants to ask you one to one. Yeah, of chat. course. Um, just one quick be easier, guys, if you want any questions to him. One sec, I'll just throw it up here on the screen. Uh, one sec, slide, and just need to share screen. Is it synapse? Is it synapse performance? Yeah, I'll see there. Now, can you see that? Oh, that's not the right one. Hold on. Is it David at signupsperformance.com? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. IE. IE. That's it. There it is now. So that's my email, guys. Or I um, very much wrap myself worked up in the numbers of my social media followers. So if you want to <laughs> boost, boost my very million. fragile ego. Um, you can follow me, but uh, I'll, my DMs are obviously open. So email or just message me on socials if you have any questions on anything whatsoever. More than happy to chat. You have to get a bikini shot up on your Instagram, David, if you want the real followers. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow now, big one. Um, Celine, you don't have to share the sheet, sheet with us now. Just post in the group. But at the end of the challenge, yes, we will have a look at everyone's sheets and hopefully we can make some nice crafts and stuff. It'll take a while, but I'll do it. And uh, yeah, there's no, Max's session is not on tomorrow, guys, for the turtle members because he is still in uh, Cape Town enjoying himself in the month. I think he is. Oh, is he back? I don't know, but it's not on. <laughs> it's not on regardless. Um, right then, everyone. Brilliant. Thanks very much, guys. Great session again. Yes, nice one, everyone. Uh, see you tomorrow in the workout. I didn't record the one I just did, so you'll have to watch Dr. P's replay if you missed it today. Sorry. <laughs> I'm incompetent. But adios, for that